Hello, and thanks for joining us for the Education Doctor Radio Show. I'm your host, Dr. Pamela Ellis. The Education Doctor Radio Show is your family source for educational excellence. Our program is brought to you by Compass Education Strategies, where I'm the principal consultant, and our mantra is Access, Thrive, Graduate. You can learn more about our firm at www.compasseducationstrategies.com. And I probably could have just said compasseducationstrategies.com without the www, but it's a habit now. So thanks to all of our listeners who are joining today. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to this program. If you're listening to a podcast of this program, we also want to thank you for joining in. For future show updates and ongoing relevant education news, please join our Facebook community by searching for The Education Doctor, then clicking like. You can also find us on Twitter at The Education Doc. We are also very excited about our recent partnership with Foursquare, which is a social geolocation site. If you're part of the Foursquare community, you'll be able to see our campus-specific tips as you travel to various college prep boarding schools, colleges, and graduate schools throughout the country. So we have a really great show lined up for you today. I know that I sound like a broken record in saying this because I say it every week um, that we have a great show, and it's always true. We have a great show today. So several years ago, there was a lot of a media a lot of media attention on early college high schools. Schools were opening across the country to fulfill a vision to provide a rigorous curriculum with a supportive structure to a generation of students who may not have had those opportunities otherwise. And these mission-focused schools gave hope to low-income students as well as first-generation students, which is another way of describing those students whose parents did not attend college. The parents play an important role in this, so that's a factor in going to college that uh, is often overlooked. The other big media frenzy, if you will, around early, early college high schools was that the Gates Foundation was very involved in these initiatives, which provided the seed capital for their, for their success. Since that time, uh, there have been other funding sources that have come about, and the Gates Foundation has done some other uh, initiatives as well, but many of these early college high schools remain true to their mission and they continue operating. And in some cases, they may have fewer resources than they had starting out, but they have continued um, in following their mission. My guest today is Dr. Judy Hennessy, uh, who is superintendent of Dayton Early College Academy which is where else but Dayton, Ohio. I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Hennessy when I first relocated to Ohio and learned so much about early college high schools and not only what was happening in the state of Ohio, but throughout the country. And DECA, as it's called for short, has won numerous awards and is widely recognized for fulfilling its mission and graduating this population of students from high school into college. So we are very honored to have her on the show today. Before we get started, I want to cover a few housekeeping things as far as our number and email address. 
I know that a lot of listeners may call and listen in and oftentimes may not have questions. They'll listen online. I will still give the number just in case, and that number is 714-333-3356. Our switchboard is located in sunny Southern California, but I am broadcasting live from sunny Dayton, Ohio. Who would have known? It's actually sunny today in Dayton. And in addition to our switchboard number, you can also email us at radio at compasseducationstrategies.com. So I will take a quick short break, and then I will come back with Dr. Judy Hennessy of DECA, and we're going to talk about what's the same and what's changed in early college high schools. So just give us a few seconds, and we'll be right back. This is the Education Doctor Radio Show brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. I am back now to talk with Dr. Judy Hennessy of DECA. So, Dr. Hennessy, Judy, are you there? I am. Good afternoon. Hello. How are you today? Well, I'm great. I'm always excited to talk about our school and the early college high school movement. Definitely a movement. Definitely. You've certainly been a visionary leader in this movement and pretty much um, with with early college high schools from the very beginning. And so can you just tell our audience a little bit about just how you came to DECA some years ago? Uh, well, I, I'm a... Uh, seasoned school um, person and educator all my career, and my last position was superintendent of the Oakwood Schools, a suburban district here um, in the first ring uh, suburb of Dayton, Ohio. I had been a superintendent and assistant superintendent, um, uh, classroom teacher, university instructor, so I came here um, so excited about the opportunity to see an innovation really take root. So often yeah. we talk about the things we wish we could do, and I think DECA is just an opportunity to really bring some of that research and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about uh, making that research happen, what research in particular um, would you say drove this early college high school initiative? That's a good question, Pamela. If we go back to our, our origin, uh, Bill, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, through many different think tanks across the country, had mm-hmm. committed themselves to try to come up with direction, uh, exemplars, prototypes to help people who wanted to reform poor-performing high schools. It's an epidemic mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. that we have a lot of high schools where students are not completing high school, let alone going to college. This is particularly acute um, among urban and rural poor students. So the, yeah. Gates and the, Lynn, uh, the, the Gates people had decided that they wanted to try an initiative where students who would be the first in their families to go to college would get a sample, a taste of college while in high school, 
that mm-hmm. the schools would be very personalized um, in contrast to the trend at the time, which was big, comprehensive high school schools of 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 kids, that these would be smaller and they would mm-hmm. be very personalized and they would also have an, a relentless focus, razor-sharp focus on ratcheting up the academic preparation for college. Mm-hmm. In the best of all worlds, students would graduate from high school and then at the very same time receive a degree, an associate's degree. Now, DECA yeah. and its eight years has had seven students do that. It's pretty remarkable. What we've learned mm-hmm. is far more important is that they have a significant taste of college. They begin to see themselves, their mindset changes to see that they are able, intellectually, socially, financially, able to go to college. And that is, um, that's the reform, that's early college in a nutshell, we were the first early college high school in Ohio. There are 10 now that will mm. be expanded with Race to the Top money. Across uh-huh. the country, there are more than 200 early college high schools, and I'm told every day about 85,000 high school students attend their four years in an early college high school setting. Wow, wow. That's pretty remarkable that's pretty remarkable because how long has this movement been around is it been in within the last 10 years oh absolutely the earliest yeah. ones were a couple of years earlier than deca opened mm-hmm. um in 2003 so uh, it is an, uh, a fairly on the horizon of educational reform right. consistently the data are saying that when you put students on the college campus or very near Mm-hmm. and they go in and take a class as a high schooler. It might be an entry-level course, but they look around and they see that if they work, if they apply themselves, if they know how to take notes, they too can master college content. Um, right. It, some people would say, well, that's counterintuitive. Why would you mm-hmm. put a high schooler in a college setting? And right. I think what we've learned is that part of going to college is being academically prepared. And part Uh of it is having the self-confidence, the self-esteem, the mindset that if you work hard enough, you, in fact, can do college work. And I know that's sometimes for people who have grown up with college Mm -hmm. all around them, at the dinner table, in their conversations, in their family reunions, that's one thing. And Mm -hmm. for those youngsters, as they go through school, the question isn't, are you going to college? It's what college are you going to attend? But for Mm -hmm. students, when no one in their family has gone to college, uh, when it seems like a dream that might happen for somebody else but not for them, you really have to work at at changing their mindset, uh, making sure that they learn the skills of college going, and position them to work that maze to get in through the door and have enough money to, to stay there. Exactly, exactly. And oftentimes I think that's what... We found out nationally, which is starting to get more attention, is that it's the staying. I mean, it's easy to go, but staying and graduating sometimes takes a bit more. You know, Pamela, that um, that brings up something that I am particularly uh, proud of about our school, the Dayton Early College Academy. Depending on whose study you reference, uh, somewhere between 10 and 20 25, 27% of Mm -hmm. first-generation students, first-generation college students, 
who go to college stay to graduate. Oh, and um, you know, as you said, yes, very low. Oh, wow. In fact, Mike Nakala just um, published a book in 2007, I believe, called Minding the Gap. And he references that if you grow up in an impoverished school, your school did not have chemistry, physics, taught by people who know the content. You didn't have the opportunity for two years of foreign language, et cetera. That less than 10% of the kids who attend those types of high schools will, in fact, go to college and graduate. And I found the one statistic that I want to share with you is that we've only had four graduating classes, so we have a small Mm. sample. But of our four classes, 84% have either recently graduated from college or are on track to finish their college degrees. And that's just astounding. That is. That is, especially when you look at a number like 27%. That could have been the case, Yes. you know, with those students. Now, you know, one of the things you touched on earlier was mentioning the different backers of the Early College Initiative, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about how has the funding changed and support for early college high schools over the years? Okay. Well, let's start with the beginning. The the mm-hmm. uh, Gates people did provide seed money. I think you alluded to that earlier. Mm-hmm. That was never mm-hmm. intended to sustain the schools. It was to help them open their doors. And DECA right. did receive that money. Uh, in addition, in Ohio, and this is specific to Ohio, for two biennium budgets, a total of four years, our legislature set aside money as a line item to attend to the supplemental costs of early college, paying the college Mm -hmm. tuition, college textbooks, smaller classes. Um, Because of the recession, that was eliminated in this budget. So we lost that Mm -hmm. uh, line item attention, and and it was a significant cut. Now um, most of the early colleges function as a high school within the school district. For example, there is an early college in Toledo, and it is one of the Toledo public high schools. There's an early college in Lorraine. Mm -hmm. Um, In our case, we are a charter, a public charter school, so we Mm -hmm. operate with revenue that comes um, directly from the State Department, um, uh, an amount per student, and then we also receive um, anti-poverty money, and people will be familiar with Title I, Title II, mm-hmm. those kind of monies come to us. So yeah, right. we're on a very tight budget, mm-hmm. and um, certainly in the in the economic times that we are, everybody's facing uh, belt tightening as well as looking at the services that we provide students and making sure we're getting the biggest bang for the buck that we can, and secondly, that we preserve the things that have yeah. made the difference. Right. What is it that we're doing that allows those kids to go to college and hold their own in their classes? And so we have been very thoughtful and deliberate about both planning for a budget cut mm-hmm. and planning to preserve what we think is, is very distinctive about our school. Hmm. Now, one of the things is I had in just talking, telling others about the show had uh, certainly given people the opportunity to send in questions by email, and one of the questions um, that came up that I'd like to ask is just what do you see as the future of early college high schools? Is this something that's going to be around much longer? 
uh, was one of the uh, questions that I got by email. So if you could address that. Well, I can look at the trend, and I can tell Mm -hmm. you that the trend is very um, much supportive. Um, there, as I said before, this grew from a handful, literally a handful of schools, to now more than 200. Uh, also, in some states, our neighboring state, for example, Indiana, this is a statewide initiative for them, North mm. Carolina, Texas. Um, really? States are deciding that this is not the once, you know, this is not a cure for everything that ails um secondary education in this country, but it is one of many um, Mm -hmm. problem-solving, very action-oriented solutions. So what we're seeing is legislatures are um, certainly attending to the data, and they're saying this works. This works. Mm -hmm. These small schools focused on college, this turns around uh, kids who may not think about college. And also there's a good bit of... of, um, Momentum coming from mm-hmm. P, um, employers, large corporations, uh, military installations who are um, concerned about the supply of technically skilled workers, people who come in with a bachelor's degree, who right. can step into these sophisticated scientific positions and then maybe grow with the organization. In our backyard mm-hmm. is Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. We have right. many partnerships with the base because they are very much wanting mm-hmm. us to grow our own. And um, I think that we are, we're going to see early college stay around. That would be my prediction. Mm-hmm. And that is yeah. based on two things. One, the success of the existing schools, and two, the emphasis to get more students prepared to go to college and hold their own. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing, Judy, that I'd like to just ask about, because certainly as I go and visit um, high schools across the country and work with um, secondary schools around different initiatives that they have is I certainly see that the parent engagement isn't as strong in some cases as it is in, for instance, the elementary schools. And I think that's a trend that, you know, many superintendents or principals could speak to is that, you know, as the kids increase in their grade levels, there's some oftentimes less parent engagement. How do you deal with that in your school? Because the parent piece of it is still an important aspect when we talk about preparing students for college and being able to be successful in college. Well, Pamela, I think that's maybe one of the most important questions uh, about reforming high schools is that we have to have partnerships with our parents. And, you know, I think everybody who's listening, anybody who's gone to college, you would have to admit you didn't get there by yourself. You didn't stay there by yourself. There have been pivotal Mm -hmm. people along the way that facilitated that. We give a lot of attention to our parents, and we have learned that it pays off. It is labor-intensive. Our parents are working, many of them two jobs. They have other children, a lot of things competing for their time. We meet Mm -hmm. with each of our cohorts of parents, for example, our ninth-grade parents, our eighth-grade parents, every month. And those meetings we refer to as parent academies. That's where we deal with the nitty-gritty kinds of things. What are your your children learning? 
learning? What can you expect to see for homework coming up? How can you help make sure they have a place to study and the time set aside? As mm-hmm. we approach graduation in the sophomore, junior, senior year, that intensifies to include the logistics of getting through the admissions paperwork. We spend mm-hmm. a lot of our time um, almost hand-holding parents, and I think most oh, yeah. parents, no matter if, uh, would say that that's so helpful. The other mm-hmm. thing that we do, our, all our teachers, all our faculty are hired as teacher-advisor. So for a dozen mm. to 17 kids, they take on the role of surrogate parent. And um, yeah. our parents are on a first-name basis. We have uh, them on speed dial on our phones. Parents have one person that they can contact to find out about their child. And that advisor mm-hmm. is often referred to by the students as a second mother, a, a big brother. Um, those relationships really pay off. Uh, first of all, parents feel better informed. They feel more comfortable. Right accessing Mm -hmm. the school because there is one person who's been in their home, probably taken their child on some outings. And then secondly, it allows us um, to really focus on the academics. And when you have those kind of partnerships with parents, you see that a lot of other things, kids come to school, um, there's less discipline, there's much less disruptive discipline. Oh, yeah. Parents are behind us. It's kind of like everybody getting on the same page and mm-hmm. singing off the same page in, in the hymnal. And I, I think um, we're not where we want to be, but we're running. I, again, I'm I'm so proud of this. I love our DECA parents. We're running about 70% attendance at our parents' uh, meetings. Really? And we take attendance. We hold parents accountable. Uh, they sign a contract with us when they enroll their child at DECA. So we have to say from time to time, if you cannot come, you have to send a representative from the family. And wow. by doing that, I think we keep everybody pretty much on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to say that being a first-generation college grad myself, my parents oh, yeah. didn't necessarily know how to help me get to college. They knew they wanted something different for me, and they certainly were willing to work and sacrifice. But they needed assistance. We needed assistance in navigating that. Um, right. I don't expect our parents to help their kids with pre-calculus and chemistry and physics homework. That's not the kind of support we're talking about. We're talking about making it a priority. Kids are at school, rested, having been uh, fed, that they're at their community commitments. We, we require outside of school uh, significant um, commitment outside of the classroom on our mm-hmm. parts of our students. So we're asking parents to, to provide the kind of environment where kids can can study, can come home. And if they cannot in their home, then we have to augment that by having those quiet study tables, review sessions, Saturday test prep, those kinds of things are part of our school program to supplement what the parents can provide. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you haven't touched on, uh, but certainly something that I observed in my you know, visits to your school is that Coupled with that rigorous academic curriculum, there's a lot of nurture and support of students. And I'd like you to just talk a little bit about how do you do that? And if you can say in terms of, you know, how do you uh, provide that type of nurture and support at the high school level? What is that, if you can describe for 
families listening, you know, what does that look like? Okay. That's a great question, too. And uh, when I said, what have we learned from this, that would mm-hmm. be right at the top of the list. Um, yeah. High schoolers tend to have those big bodies, and we think sometimes that um, they're more mature than they really are. They have very fragile egos, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot with an adolescent in building rapport, uh, getting them to trust their teachers, their school people, and also that we are unconditionally their champions, that we believe and affirm completely that they have the intellectual ability to go to college and that if they will work, and I keep putting that in there, it takes a lot of effort. So we have to convince them that we're in their corner and we're going to hold them to high standards. And how we do that, I think, is one, I have to give credit to our young Faculty, I say young because most of them are. They're very savvy. They know their um, content, but they also have this zeal, this almost incredible investment in the students. And through this advisory model, they really become like a family. Um, Mm -hmm. Kids often tell visitors here that this feels like a second family to them. We um, give them access to us outside school hours. Teachers answer homework questions. They'll take calls about personal issues. They know that they can contact their advisor. Uh, We also extend the school day and the school year, and that's to help them fill in the Mm -hmm. gap. Um, we mm-hmm. have summer classes going on. We have tutoring sessions. We have review sessions outside the day. We have academic competitions that get the kids involved outside the school day. So we we try almost to fill up um, a big portion of their lives, um, mm. and and that's very deliberate. Um, our kids yeah. are often um, leaving neighborhoods that are not particularly safe. Mm-hmm. Um, they could. They could travel a different path in terms of how they conduct themselves. And we want them to form this tight network of support all around going to college. Right. And uh, that's why we often say that everybody who comes to DECA is a nerd and Mm -hmm. we get teased about it. And so we decided to create Nerd Night where we study for exams (laughs) and then we party. And uh, it's that kind of thing that... Uh, we want to play on that. You are smart, yeah. and it's something to be proud yeah, of, and it's also something for you to to aspire to for not only a college degree but maybe a graduate degree. I, I do exactly. need to mention, too, that um, mm-hmm. the Gates research is based on this assumption that the early colleges will not cherry-pick stellar students from their districts, that they would wow. open their doors. Yeah to a continuum. And by law in Ohio, as a charter school, we advertise an open enrollment period, and it's first come, first serve. If you exceed, it's a lottery. So we Mm -hmm. aren't just going out here and finding people who uh, could be successful with almost minimal attention. We have really a continuum. You have to really uh, work with them. Yep. So actually, this actually wraps up our show for today with Dr. Judy Hennessy of Dayton Early College Academy. Judy, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Would you please share your web address for any of our listeners who want to stay stay connected with your success? What is it? Okay. Um, It is www.dayton, D-A-Y-T-O-N, earlycollege.org. And we would love to hear from people. Also, our website is um, DaytonEarlyCollege.org. And I think you can see some profiles of our students and other information.
Okay, excellent. So we have some great shows coming up for you on the Education Doctor Radio. Next week we're actually going to be talking about uh, black male achievement in high school and starting our series there. We thank you so much uh, for joining us, and if you can listen up for our closing message, which, which we'll share more with you about how to stay connected. Thanks again for listening.